0: You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB.
1: Mr. Beaver, Mr. Bourgeois. Yes. What's up? I, uh, I have a pitch for you. I've got a film where cowboys have a shootout in the last man standing battle to the death.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I like it.
1: Whichever one of you gives me the best notes first lives, the other one dies. Oh, I
0: have some
2: notes.
1: Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the show where we pit the plot points and premises of a film against themselves in a last-idea-standing contest to the death. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today, we are doing the 1995 film, The Quick and the Dead. This is a good
2: movie. Yeah. (laughs) This, you know, I, I think we selected The Quick and the Dead as a sense of, like, we were kind of a little sick of... Watching a lot of really bad movies,
0: especially after watching Ready Player One. Yeah, we watched a couple really miserable films in a row. And yeah, we're and we're like, let's, let's watch
2: let's watch something um, with a little joy in it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, not a this perfect may... film, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know because like this may be our undoing because uh, it was this movie's actually really good. I think mm-hmm. it's yeah, I'd never seen it. I'd quite liked it.
0: Yeah, you and like half of everyone else, The Quick and the Dead is. Uh, a weird western in that it's very, very good and also very, very under the radar. Um, a lot of people haven't seen this film and it didn't do very well for itself um, which is which is bizarre. Yeah. And weirdly, the uh,
2: history hasn't been kind to it either, because the the uh, Rotten Tomato reviews still remain at the, around the the fifty percent mark, which kind of surprised me a little bit.
1: Yeah, this was this was delightful. I'm a big Sam Raimi fan. I don't know how this one like slipped under even my radar because I'm like I, I I I you know cut my film nerd teeth uh, uh, pulling apart Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and all that stuff. Like,
0: yeah. And as far as spaghetti westerns go, this one is. Really solid. Like, it's got a stellar cast. It's got a tight plot. It's got a whole bunch of gunfights. It's got a killer premise and it executes really well on it. Now, it's got yeah. a fine plot. It's got a killer premise. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's got a, a technically
2: has a plot. <laughs> Point of order is, is yeah. this technically a spaghetti western?
0: Uh, it's it's definitely an homage to the spaghetti western genre i suppose it would have to have been filmed in italy to actually be a spaghetti western yes yeah
1: yeah uh it's yes more of an angel hair situation
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think i'm just learning that angel hair is is that the american term for spaghetti no it's just a lighter it's a lighter
1: flimsier thinner spaghetti uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like the idea of spaghetti boiled down to its raw uh, essentials, uh, which sure, is more yeah. or less what this movie does to the to the Western, right? Just boils it right down to like, let's just have a Mortal Kombat style shootout.
2: Yeah, yeah I, that's what I was thinking, too. I was like in the one of the things I was thinking for for a pitch was like th- basically Mortal Kombat, but as a Western.
0: Mm-hmm. Which also would have resulted in me going no notes.
2: <laughs> yeah. so quick quick aside i don't know if you guys
1: read this but uh in in the uh, wake of the uh you know global pandemic we find ourselves in uh the ufc bought an island did you guys hear about this yeah no
0: i heard about yeah, this
1: the, the ufc bought a private island to have matches where they will send healthy fighters to like have fucking ufc matches a- away from anywhere you might get covet i guess but ah, the
0: ufc when, has when- literally <laughs> hit upon the idea of mortal combat. <laughs>
1: So I'm like, dude, If 10 years from now, this is my prediction, and I'm saying it here on this podcast. 10 years from now, wherever that island is, it's going to be the new Vegas, and it's going to be a weird, like, Bacchanal paradise, like, island of sin, where you can go and watch fucking gladiator fights and do all the things that you used to do in Vegas.
2: Um, it could also turn into no escape. Also true. Possibly. Although that was full of criminals, but, you
0: know. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Uh, yeah, they should have a, um, uh, quick in the dead style, uh, um, showdown on that island sometime in the near future. Um, get on it, Joe Rogan,
2: cause I forget the name of the UFC guy. Anyway, what, what a, what a time uh, to be alive. Eh? Yeah.
1: We're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's my big pitch. My big pitch is we remake this movie on the UFC fight island. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no this this was a this was a movie's about twenty five years old. It's uh, it's got a star oh st- Jesus, is it really? <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety five. Me, wow. 19- I did the math. I was like, so uh, and that's uh, so. It's got uh, Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe in his first American performance. So this was this was the start of Russell Crowe as superstar. Uh, as I believe, or at least uh, t- to a certain degree, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, as the kid. Another uh, early performance of him. Uh, he's like. 20 in this movie. I, I went and looked at his birthday, and when this came out, and did the math. He's like early
0: 20s in this one. Yeah,
2: he's he's very much in his uh, Romeo and Juliet
0: uh, era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie features, with the exception of probably Gene Hackman and Sharon Stone, it's got a lot of like notable cast members who were in it before they were really famous, and that that's not just Leo. That's also Russell Crowe. Yeah, he wasn't a big name at this time.
1: Yeah, according to the IMDb trivia, um, not only did Sharon Stone insist that Sam Raimi direct it, uh, which is very cool, uh, but she also insisted that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio be cast to the point where, uh, at least according to the IMDb trivia, and these aren't always, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, site sourced uh, uh, facts, but uh, apparently Sharon Stone paid Leonardo DiCaprio's salary uh, on insisting that he be in the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she actually uh, co-produced the movie. It was kind of a passion project for her.
2: Yeah, I, I I suppose at the time, like you know, if you're looking for you know really meaty roles for women, um, this pro this script probably sounded a bit unique.
1: Yeah, she was probably eager to jump on that and give herself something cool to do.
0: You're you're very much playing a Clint Eastwood style cowboy in this movie, and it's a part that's very explicitly written for a woman. So, mm-hmm. like that's yeah. that's not a common uh, character archetype to see in a film, certainly in the mid-90s.
1: Well, let's uh, let's hear from the trailer, uh, set it up a little more, and uh, we'll get into the things we... the keeps and cuts and general thoughts, though, uh, yeah, I think the agreement is we're uh, all pretty into this flick.
0: This is my town!
1: If you live to see the dawn, it's because I allow it! I decide who lives or who dies!
0: In a town called Redemption, <laughs> death is a way of life.
1: Some fight for money, some fight for glory, but one stranger has come here, looking for
0: something else.
2: I now declare the Quick Draw competition open.
1: Anybody can challenge anybody.
0: Sign me up.
2: Sure must want to die young, miss. She can play their game. Wanna
1: play poker with me,
2: little lady? Looks like you're having a pretty good time playing with yourself. She can beat their odds. Did you ever kill anyone? Sure.
0: I don't think I have. But there's one thing she can't do. Why are you really here? You're no gunfighter. Old West's deadliest gunslingers have gathered in the town of redemption for a quick draw tournament. Entrants include all sorts of disreputable types, outlaws, hired guns, pedophiles, blowhards. Still, the tournament's most unlikely contestant is a woman named Ellen with a mysterious connection to the town. She's come to redemption for one purpose: to kill John Herod, the man who has the town under his boot. Herod, however, has his own singular purpose: to bring the preacher court. A former partner back down to his murderous level. Ellen must reckon with her past and find a friend in court quickly, or end up dead.
2: I realize now that in my in my list of disreputable <sighs> types, uh, I kind of like buried the lead a little bit. It sh- I, maybe it should have been uh, uh, hired guns. Uh, outlaws, blowhards, and pedophiles, or something like that. Yeah, seems like the blowhard is the one I, I leaned on the hardest as being the the worst of the Blah. worst. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a very colorful cast of characters in this movie, and that yeah. is to its credit. Like all of the gunslingers in this film look very different. <sighs> they act very different. They all have very different motivations for the most part. Certainly, all of the all of the ones who we spend any amount of time with. Um, in our watch party, somebody even pointed out like they all have their own shooting style. Like everyone takes up a different stance the moment they go to yeah. to draw down on each other, and it that's a level of detail that is really that really helps bring the movie alive for me.
2: Yes, there's um, a sequence of about ten minutes where nearly every major gunslinger is getting introduced, and it is is very well crafted and a lot of fun. You get, you know, a little, you get the, the broad s- strokes of their, of their character quirks and in a very short period of time, it's really efficient. Um, uh, but also really like a fun sequence to watch.
0: Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had never seen this film and, and, uh, was not even particularly familiar with it, even though I, Considered myself a, a fan of Sam Raimi, I somehow it slipped past me, um, and I can see why I think this. I miss this because if you look at all the po- uh, this is gonna sound really judge a book by its covery, but if you look at all the posters, it looks like a run of the mill western movie that I don't know that I would have ever paid attention to if I saw it on a on a movie rack uh, as in ninety five mid two thousands, anytime really, uh, even on Netflix would have just breezed right past it, wouldn't have given it a second thought. Um, and then watching this, I'm like, oh my God, this is a whole bunch of Sam Raimi good times. Like we're blowing holes in guys and you can see the sun through the shadow through the hole in the, like, yeah, this is crazy wild west. Like just, uh, just a, a, a string, a parade of, of characters with, with niche bits to their, their whole, like, Characters who can be defined by a single shtick is—I love it. I—it's I, how I like to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's how I like to do write comedy characters. It's the, what I like to see in a movie. This I got like, as much as it's like a spaghetti western, it also kind of reminded me a lot of Scott Pilgrim versus the World.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Yep.
1: Of just, like, here, here's this, like, parade of wacky bosses that you have to, like, fight your way through. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where I, I think if any kind of remake happens, um, uh, Edgar Wright might be the, the one to tap.
2: Sure, yeah. His kinetic style would, would definitely work yeah. really well for, for this particular movie. You're not wrong on the poster. Like, the the poster in uh, on the Wikipedia page, just as an example... Um, has it's got a lot of like sort of like soft elements to it. Yeah. It's very very strange, that like for a movie that's you know it's kind of a more of a hardcore sort of the uh, action type movie or whatever. But like yeah, this is pres- fu- it's a fun movie. Like this, it, yeah. I guess that's the thing is the the poster doesn't let
0: you know how fun this movie is. No, because it, yeah. it looks really dour and like gritty western, gritty American style. Yeah, it looks western. like a,
1: a, a you know somebody you know did a Louis Lemoore you know film treatment uh the one the the poster on uh rotten tomatoes is even worse it's all four of the main actors in like bar profile shots um <laughs> so says quick in the dead and then each of their four faces in like a bar <clears throat> going you know horizontal bars or vertical bars uh and no then a shot of a western town underneath and it's like yeah i wouldn't this looks like nothing this looks like you just write some western movie in the same font and you wouldn't notice the difference
2: yeah, it feels like that the, like a like the obvious poster for this would be just, you know, a um uh an image of Sharon Stone at the end of a uh of, you know, the the road in the, in the town just drawing her gun or whatever and like that would at least get the the main point across of what the movie's all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to bring it back to your point about Edgar Wright, uh, I agree with you. But seeing as my rewrite of this movie would be as a samurai film, I'm going to go with Takeshi Miike, uh, who's done a hundred action-filled uh, movies out of Japan over the years, and I think that he he would be a good kinetic filmmaker for this film as well, with a lot of broad stylistic choices and really bold characters. So cool. yeah. he is he is uh, in the same vein as a as a Sam Raimi and an Edgar Wright. Um, this movie, nice. more to that point, is very Sam Raimi. Like, it's got all of his little auteur touches in it. Um, from everything from, like, the color palette to the way the camera uh, treats the actors to uh, just, like, the little the little touches. You can very much see a lot of the stuff that he brings from uh, his Evil Dead movies into this film. You can see a lot of the stuff that he carries forward into the Spider-Man movies in this film. Uh, it's it's a it's an interesting bridging movie between those two extremes for him and you can see how his style is developing in it.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple moments in this movie where it's it feels straight up Evil Dead. I'm thinking particularly the climax where uh where Herrod gets a uh a, a, a massive hole blown in his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: little little mo- brief moments where it was like the 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 gore or the action would just like like uh you know much maybe i've just been talking into a microphone too much for the last few weeks but you know when a mic spikes and it's just like it just hits the hits the precipice of where it could possibly go on the you know yeah um it's got that of like it's it's like tracking as like a fun western movie fun western movie and then this just spike of very absurd action and then right back down to somewhat grounded reality
0: yeah but the uh the weird spikes in the action don't really take you out of the film at all like they No, it's part of the fun yeah they it if anything it's it's just like it's like putting a little garnish on what was already a really good cake like it's it stands out but it's good it, it just makes the whole experience mm-hmm. better yeah Anything
1: you'd cut, anything that did not work for you, you think was maybe misplaced or hasn't aged well.
0: Okay, well, I'll, I'll love, do the writing scene. on the wall one here. Yeah, the, the love scene. <laughs> um, so this is, this is interesting because this is a scene in which uh, Sharon Stone's character, Ellen, uh, goes and basically uh, takes court from a bunch of Herod's men and then seduces him and they sleep together. And it is out of place and weird, so much so that it was cut from the film. Uh, Sharon Stone didn't even like it and thought that it detracted from the overall story. And so it hit the cutting room floor. But then for some reason, it got added back in, uh, I want to say in the UK release and then later on the home video release. And it is certainly on the Netflix version that we watched for this episode. And it should have remained on the cutting room floor. It has no business being in this film unless you really want to see Sharon Stone's boobs for like a split second. And that's not a good yeah. enough reason to keep this to keep the scene. No offense to Sharon Stone. I,
2: I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that's why it found its way back into the home video release. Oh, uh, that's gross. There's and a, you're a,
0: probably right.
2: Yeah, like the you know, oh well, for, I mean, for one thing in this era of Sharon Stone's filmography, there was um an expectation that if you're watching a Sharon Stone Stone, Stone movie oh, you're going to yeah. see some nudity right and because it, it didn't uh it didn't make uh much bank uh, in, you, as a in, in its theatrical release it's probably uh you know Sony trying to recoup as much money as possible
0: Oh that's real gross Sony and you should feel gross about it
2: So yeah well,
0: so that's that's the obvious cut. <laughs> is, that's the big obvious cut. Is yeah. that one should never have been put back in the film, and it was cut with. Hey, good yeah, reason. it
2: doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Like at that point, like, um, you know, Cord has told her about, uh, you know, what his relationship to Harad and and, um, and why he he left Herod's gang and decided to try and find a um, some redemption, um. But you never really get a sense that there's any sort of like romantic leanings. And I think at that, like, did she not just ride back into town after having that really um, dramatic scene? <laughs> Emotionally vulnerable being, scene. Yeah. Yeah. About, yeah with the, with like, the doctor, yeah. Ex- explaining what happened to her father. And then she just rides into <sighs> town and like, fuck some dude. Like, it's a little, it's just weird. Yeah. And like, and I also couldn't really figure out um, why uh, they had, um, court in the uh uh in the bordello anyway
0: i would attempt him probably like i can justify them taking yeah, him maybe, to the bordello to try to to try to mess with him because he's taken priestly vows at that point but uh it's it's still weird and out of place and it doesn't need to be in the film
2: other than that i don't really have anything to cut <laughs> Yeah, no, no hard, hard cuts really. Yeah.
0: One of the things I will say about this film is that it's a real lean, hundred and what, thirty two minutes or something. It's it's mm-hmm. a hair over or under an hour and a half, and it goes by real fast. The pacing is is excellent. Um, there's not much that needs trimming because it's already so lean. Um, and indeed, if I can get a little ahead of myself, one of my suggested changes for the film would be to throw a little fat on those bones and let it breathe a little more. So I think the movie should be longer, <laughs> let alone cutting stuff. I think we should be putting stuff in just, yeah. just not that sex scene. That was weird and gross.
2: Yeah. We just freed up five minutes for you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I didn't even know if it was even five
2: minutes. It went by very quickly. Yeah. Seems as though they had, they had filmed it and not really understood at the time how it was going to fit into the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> And I found it, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and I and I already kind of found it like a little bit jarring. To like, I felt like Sharon Stone and Court's um, relationship had not quite developed enough yet for them to be to be pals and and on the same side at that point. Like, I don't know. Um, oh no,
0: I could I could buy them being on the same side at that point, but I don't see her riding back into town and having sex with him at that point. No. Yeah, it's
1: it's it really reeked of that like, well, two of the hunky, you know the, the the attractive woman and the attractive man, male leads need to bone or else it's not a movie. Uh like it really yeah. reeked of that kind of like there yeah, needs to be that's... a kiss at the end, the bad guy needs to die, just those like fucking pl- like beyond tropes, just like played out movie expectations.
2: Yeah, that's certainly something that was a big part of um, movies in the '90s, particularly action movies. That the sex scene was sort of a prerequisite, and like that, and that, and that there had to be, there had to be some sort of romantic lead, and and you know the the guy gets the girl in the end, like super tro- super tropey, and like that has by and large disappeared in film these days to the point where um, it's almost gone too far the other way, where where sex is almost been eliminated entirely from most action movies
1: yeah it tends to be they the the coupling happens at the end and you assume they're gonna go off screen and bang now as opposed to in the middle of the movie kind of yeah
2: yeah and i'm thinking like uh, specifically with um the the marvel movies like they're really you know there's there's coupling going on here here and there but like yeah um you know for the most for the most part like you don't yeah you don't get any sense of like Hey, did these guys bone or not or anything like that? And it feels, (laughs) you know, not every film needs that, obviously, but like, it's weird when when it's
1: absent from every film. Well, those are, all the Marvel movies are, you know, PG-13 or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. did, did, I, I, did, I can't remember, does John Wick bone down partway through the movie? Mm -hmm, No, I don't think so. No, definitely not. Yeah, I think you're, yeah, there you go. There, great. Another reason John Wick is great. Uh.
2: Definitely not in the first one. Yeah. Because it would be completely out of character for him to. Maybe yeah. in, the se- <laughs> in the second or the third. But, uh, He's yeah. had some space. He's ready to get back on the wagon. No,
0: yeah, yeah. John Wick does not have time in the three days that the three movies have taken, spe- taken That's place. Right. In yeah. They're basically. I've like only okay. ever seen the first one.
1: Do they take place over three days? Yeah.
0: It, it's a pretty tight timeline between those films. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, I will say this movie is a hard R. Like, and I can see why. Mm-hmm. The, there's some. There's a lot of strong language. There's a little bit of nudity. Even not including the sex scene. There's uh, there's a lot of gunfighting and there's some yeah. shocking and occasional gory violence. And so yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, it is a hard R western for sure.
2: Yeah, and Im- implied rape too. So yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely there's definitely stuff that's uh, that's
0: not for every audience. Questionable content. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: But that grown-up movies are for grown-ups, though. So. Grown-up movies are like... for
0: grown-ups. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like uh, it's like all those uh, moms who were complaining that they brought their like their children to see Deadpool because they thought it was going to be a funny movie, and it's like, did you not see the R rating? <laughs> yeah, that's why they have ratings and not
2: yeah. post, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I I went to um, the new version of Judge Dread, and. <laughs> And uh, me and my buddy were in the film, and there was <laughs> there was a dad with his eight year old kid sitting, you know, front row, and we were just like, "Wow, you're <laughs> we just watching the uh, the gore and everything in that film, and it was something else." And so, like, that's gonna mess that kid up. Yeah, that is. Uh... Call this a PSA then. From I have some notes. Uh, movie ratings are for everyone's safety. <laughs> yeah. Speaking from my own personal experience, like nudity didn't mess me up as a kid. It was always it was always the violence. Like that was the stuff that gave you know gave me you know nightmares and had me the the predator for example had me uh, wait awake at night in the middle of the night wondering if the predator could see me with his heat vision.
0: Mm. Mm. Spoiler alert: he can. Um, yeah. He can, Greg. <laughs> and he's right <laughs> behind you. Oh no! A lot of a lot of action films now. Uh, drop down into the PG thirteen rating because uh, there's a general, there is a general desensitization to violence, but it's also because a lot of the violence in films nowadays is very sanitary. Um, like you it, see someone get shot, effects lasers. Well, not just that, but you'll like see someone get shot with a bullet, but then like they just fall off screen, and there's there's no consequence to having shot that person. And we just move on to the next action beat. Whereas in The Quick and the Dead, like shooting someone is a bloody and terrible business. And you see some people die in incredibly drawn out and horrific ways in this film. And so I can see why it's... Like the violence is more visceral because it's not, and it, like we were talking about John Wick before too. <clears throat> same thing when John Wick shoots a dude, like there's blood splatter and stippling, like it's it's terrible. Uh, people die horrifically and in agony in that film when he when he kills some people. He takes an incredible beating over the course of several movies, and the violence isn't sanitary. It's brutal and it's visceral and it's terrible, and like that's good. That's that's how violence should be depicted <laughs> because violence yeah. is brutal and terrible and visceral and I think that we're just too used to action heroes mowing down phalanxes of of men with no repercussions, no consequences and no blood splatter and it's it's really made the made us I don't want to say desensitized it's, again but it's it's jaded us a little bit to it. Yeah, it's it's definitely tilted the genre. And I think that might yeah. be why you, were were so surprised by the level of gore in this film.
1: Like, and it we're, I wasn't surprised by the gore. It was more the the fun. But yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Yeah, like, it, and I'm not suggesting gory and like there's blood and guts everywhere. But like, there's yeah. some. There are indeed shots of like the back of people's heads being blown off, and it's yeah. it's pretty pretty crazy. And but it's good. Yeah, it's there's... good
2: there's um you know consequences to violence in this movie that are that are quite dramatic and 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 really i i feel invoke a lot of emotion when when the kid dies at the at the hand of his father and he's lying on the ground clutching his stomach and and just you know bloods everywhere and uh and he's saying that he doesn't you know Pleading, he doesn't want to die. Like that stuff is, yeah. It's a it's a hard moment to watch, you know. Yeah. So like, there's there's definitely there's definitely a, a decent balance in this movie of like celebrated violence, but also consequences to violence.
0: Yeah, it's a good observation. Yeah, it
2: really, it really straddles
0: the line well. Well, and even with uh, uh, Ellen's flashback to her accidentally shooting her dad in the head, uh, while well, trying yeah. to save him from Herod and his men. It's like consequences to violence. Like she, she's haunted by that. It was an accident. She was a little kid, but but it has colored her entire life.
2: Yes, and like there's so many little things in this movie that I love, and just like that, um, you know, you don't get that information until right at the end of the film. But like at the beginning of the movie, she's faced with that situation again when when Court is strung up in the bar. Yep. and she and you ha- can she has th- she shoots she shoots the rope uh yeah. you know down as a, as a proof of her skill and uh, and that scene in and of itself i think is just uh like uh sharon stone's performance is is wonderful oh yeah cuz you mm-hmm. can you,
0: scene. you can see her reliving her trauma in that moment Yeah. like it is yeah. so it is so deeply triggering to her to see this happening all over again in front of her and it's like, Sharon Stone is really good in this movie. You guys, I just want to say that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I think in the in the in the beginning too, it, like it creates this sort of this stark contrast because she's she comes in, she rides in as such a badass, you know, and and doesn't she doesn't really show a whole lot of emotion, and and suddenly, you know, you see you see her. Uh, quite uh uh, quite startled and and it's you know it creates a good contrast and and i i actually quite like that you don't you don't understand that fully until the end until later yeah yeah that's very good
1: well let's uh let's uh throw over to our uh wonderful sponsors and when we come back we'll uh see if we have any ways to tighten up this uh mostly mostly flawless movie Uh, but i think there's there's some some bolts that can be tightened and we can really uh um, make this, uh, make this. Hopefully, retroactively change the Rotten Tomatoes from uh, fifty-seven to something more respectable,
0: like like a like a solid sixty-five.
1: So let's let's go
0: for it. <laughs> This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Once normal working conditions resume, you're invited to join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations, all dedicated to getting things done. Unit B Coworking is located in the historic McKinney Building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown. For more information, visit unitb.ca.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to I Have Some Notes. We're talking about The Quick and the Dead. Uh, Scott, Greg, what uh, what would you do to change this movie? Do you have, like, deep notes or these more little details?
2: I think I really only have one minor tweak, to mm-hmm. be honest. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you want me to go through it now? Sure, sure. yeah. Why don't yeah. you kick us off here? Okay, so I, 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 the one thing that we cut was the, the love scene, and I, I think I would replace it with um, a scene with a town folk. The, the one weakness I think I found with this movie is that, um, we don't get a good sense for the people who live in the town, and Agreed. I feel like that's, um, at least somewhat necessary because of Sharon Stone's connection to the town, um, and the fact that her father was, um, originally the marshal. Yeah. Um... And you know they they have that whole scene with the uh, with the hired gun, who is who's been who, who's been hired to take out Harad in the tournament, um, but not a single one of the townsfolk uh, ever speak. Yeah, which is who, a little who li- hired him or who yeah you know, put him up which to is it? L- yeah, a little bit a little bit more than irritating to me, and I I feel like you could replace that that sex scene. Um, or at least delete it and, and add the time necessary to um, uh, have a scene in which. Oh, sorry. I, I'm thinking. I'm actually thinking of. I would delete the sex scene regardless. But there's there's a scene where the kid talks to Sharon Stone before she skips town. Mm-hmm. She yep. she has decided that herod's too strong or whatever, uh, or or that she just doesn't have the metal to to, to kill him. And then she rides off in the distance, and I don't actually think talking to the kid is um, is worth it there, um, because he—I don't know. I mean, like, he, like they're, I guess they're kind of they're kind of buddies. It, well, they're bed buddies, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that's kind of it. But like, if, if to inform her character a little bit more, I think it'd be better to have um, uh, the town folk approach her. Um to become the new hired gun. Um and and her her resistance to that just being like, I'm not your champion, I think is a good lead in to her riding off and and skipping town uh, and only to end up, you know, at her father's grave eventually, right? Yeah. I I, yeah. I think that's valid. The, definitely felt that too. I'm like, what is all
1: these townspeople watching, what is their stake in this? um i was even trying to render like what is the the town sort of collectively stake in this fight um maybe it was mentioned and it 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 slipped past me there but like is this like for a a because if it's an annual thing is it like a tourist event is it uh is it the sort of thing meant to draw people in is it just for herod's ego like
0: i think i I get the impression it's a one-time thing that's mostly for herod and it's mainly because he's trying to he wants to fight court like at the end of the day this is all one giant pretense for him to fight court
1: i must have missed something and i was under the impression this was like an annual tournament he had
2: yeah i don't know i don't think i really picked up on it either way to be honest I think or at least like it's not the first time he's done this because it was I a big that- board up like it seemed like it was
1: a
0: thing everyone was ready to participate in Oh, definitely. It was something everyone was ready to participate in. I I think that it Uh, needs to be clarified. Maybe that it's a one-time thing, and I I think that it should be only a one-time thing. Um, And I think I don't
2: know. Like, okay. I think I'm just thinking of something, Scott. Sorry to interrupt, but like the when when all the gunslingers are being introduced, um, the the blind kid, he he seems to know some of them which kind of implies to me that like this isn't the first time they've participated in the tournament and yeah. it's established later on that like you know the the you don't always have to kill someone to to win right like people yeah. survive the duels so it seems it seems like a cast of characters could continually return to to participate in the tournament
0: that's mm-hmm. fair um i don't know i get the impression that with the lethality inherently involved in a gunslinger tournament that and and especially with the cast of characters who gets attracted to come here and show off their gunfighting skills if this was an annual event like th- a lot of these people would have shown up before and there's the impression that this is the first time most of them are meeting one another
2: again like with 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 um okay with if, his because with, his, an cause with his sorry with his, with his son like his son repeatedly talks about how he's not the fastest anymore, which to me again implies that like he's grown up basically watching his father win the tournament. Yeah. It's just, even if it's not an
1: annual thing necessarily, it definitely has this guy. I, I would have at least liked to have seen the poster that brought everyone here, like their mortal Kombat letter. You oh know no. I, you
0: I, uh, I definitely agree with that. I think that yeah. one way or the other, whether or not this is something that's, that's happened before, or this is a one-time event. Um, the movie would be served by having a scene uh, explaining that and showing yeah. like like an invitation, or showing uh, more specifically Ellen with an invitation, maybe explaining mm-hmm. it or getting the invitation and explaining it, and, stealing you know, it off a dead guy or yeah something, yeah. something no, like that. You
2: guys, you guys know like the 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 whole that whole first scene where they're where they're arriving and, and signing up, like that was that was um it, I think it's just sort of like known that like this is about the time that these these yeah's not an, it's not so formal but like
1: yeah everybody like, at least what I'm saying is I wanted to know why everyone knew to be in that bar to sign up like the memo that said sign up is on
0: Thursday at eight you know <laughs> yeah um more than that I wanted to get a little more uh, a little more exposition about the Wells Fargo team because um, something that's not very obvious in the movie, but is there to pick up on, is that the prize money for the tournament was uh, was provided by Wells Fargo. That's said right up front. But the guys in black who are working as Herod's muscle in the town are actually like mercenaries. They're hired guns from Wells Fargo. They're not Herod's gang. Herod's gang are those jerks who are running around town as sniveling like uh, s- sniveling cronies. Uh, the yeah, Wells yeah. Fargo guys are professional, or like professional bodyguards who are there to guard the money and guard Herod during the tournament, and they're not to be meddled with. And that is something that I think needs to be a little more explicit in the film, especially because late in the film, uh, Court chumps those guys. Like he makes fools out of them and just kills like six of them, no problem. Which further reinforces how much of a total badass Court is. And I think that that needed a little more setup as well. So, And I feel like that could have been baked into learning a little bit more about the gunslinger tournament early on, like where the prize money's coming from, why Wells Fargo is supplying the prize money and why they're supplying yeah. men to Herod. I think that would have been something that should have been uh, expounded upon as well.
1: Agreed. That was that was kind of my big big note as well. So it's funny you sort of started with the townspeople, Greg, because that was sort of my my observation as well, was a little more world building framework
2: yeah, I think I just I just wanted to uh, I I wanted to understand a little bit more about what it was that Harad was was doing to the townspeople. Um, you know, because he's he's certainly he's certainly not a good guy, and that's that's very well established. And he's yep. a he's and it's very well established that he's a menacing presence,
0: and he's exploiting uh, them for sure.
2: Yeah, but I just like it just. You just never get a sense of like how how is it that the townspeople suffer from yeah. this, you know, because they, they don't you know, they don't they don't really get involved in the in the gunslinging or anything like that. They, they aren't they aren't asked to participate. That would be a good way. Like, uh, for example, let's say that like the signups are uneven and Herod just <laughs> volunteers one of the townspeople. we like, you're up, buddy. We need another person. <laughs> Nobody gets a buy. Yeah. I think that would be kind of an interesting way. And it would reinforce what, it, what a total piece of shit
0: hurrah it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we had touched on in the first half that the movie's pretty lean. And it could have stood to be like 15, maybe 20 minutes longer. And, and it wouldn't have felt padded. Um, and I feel like adding a little bit more... Exposition for the town. Not even an exposition. Not not necessarily people like talking at each other about stuff, but like uh a char- character a beats bit. with the with the townsfolk, um, a little bit more about what this contest is about and why it's come about, a little bit more about why Wells Fargo is involved in it, and a little bit more time with the gunslingers before they all start. That was my other big one. I think that would have that would have been fun to get a little bit more character out of the gunslingers and Uh, maybe even a couple more gunslingers who go out in the first round, uh, having a little more time with a very colorful cast of characters, I think would have been enjoyable. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's my my big fix is is I would have amped up the color on the colorful characters. I would have loved to see even wilder caricatures of all of the um, other gunslingers. Uh, they they already do a good job it's not like it isn't there but i just like i i i keep thinking again very much of like um uh scott pilgrim or like um i didn't see it but that uh that from the the impression i got from the trailer um uh showdown at the elroy or el royale that movie from a couple years ago
2: yeah um um, um. God, now I can't remember the actual name of it. One it's night at the O'Reilly, Show- or something, or yeah, bad times at the O'Reilly. Bad Real. times at the O'Reilly. Yeah, like that. That's I didn't see that flick, but it
1: seemed like it had that like every every actor was playing some like heightened anime wrestlery type of like taken a bit to the most absurd extreme. And I think I think that might have made this movie a little less of a across the plate western uh, and maybe into something a little more of a fun genre uh, homage.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I agree that it's an across-the-plate western, but yeah, I mean, you can you can certainly you could In terms of a little bit. Mm, yeah. In terms of aesthetic. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like they, there's some pretty hyper-stylized stuff. Um, most of that's happening within the framework of the duels, um, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, out, outside of the duels, it's not. It doesn't read as stylistic. Um, yeah. And again, this is more of a of a, a
1: cherry on top of an already mm. great movie. Like they already do it very well. I just like if there was anything I could see improving, it'd be to really, really ham up the the gunslingers to 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 make more fun, I guess. Because like in terms of plot and character development for the four main ones, there's plenty, and it all makes sense.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm generally pretty happy with with um, most of, like the the. Uh, cast of disreputables uh for the most part Uh, um maybe the hired gun um just because i I, he has interaction with the the townsfolk and i wanted more from the the townsfolk so so maybe he he could be
0: more of a character it's also keith david so giving him more to do is just automatically great so basically what i'm hearing is we liked the movie and we want more of the movie (laughs)
2: <laughs> more or
0: less
1: yeah more of the things we liked or amplified versions of the thing we like
2: i this actually this movie is um uh, a regular in my rotation of of uh fun movies to watch like i've seen this probably four or five times it's it's good it's yeah, very it was, good i'm glad you guys turned me onto to it because I, I had a great time I would have
1: never even given it. Like if this, I wonder how many times I saw this on Netflix and was like, next, like yeah. it might as well say under the Tuscan sun. Like it really.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really it a shame. It does deserve to be, uh, to, to have a little more love thrown its way.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully through this episode, we will have convinced a couple listeners who maybe have not watched the quick and the dead to sit down, give it a try and have a fun time. Like bring some popcorn, yeah. have a good time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a nice. It was a con, you know, considering how many movies I've watched in the past couple weeks and exactly what I have an appetite for, this was uh, this was perfect. So,
2: although I suppose that the, the mere fact that it's a part of our list of movies that 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 may only serve to reinforce <laughs> that it's that it's mediocre
0: when it's really not. Yeah, I don't think having Interstellar in our list of uh, N- yeah, well, featured good. films necessarily is going to hurt it in the long run. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, speaking of uh, uh, people who uh, wanna, would want to participate, maybe we got uh, turned them on to, uh, there was obviously a lot of our listeners uh, have seen this film and wanted to share their comments. Uh, if you'd like to get in on the comment having, please follow us on social media and uh, uh, share your thoughts whenever we solicit them. Uh, we do so a couple days before we uh, record the podcast, so just keep your eye on that. Pal's over at Cinemological. Start things off with: This is an underappreciated gem of a film that is the last example of unrestrained Sam Raimi quirks. The best Sharon Stone performance of her career.
0: She is really good in this movie, and I don't disagree with that. Like she, you you can tell
1: working on lately.
2: That's a good question.
1: I'm looking it up right here. Hang on.
2: I thought Oz was his last major release, wasn't it?
1: He oh, it looks like he's producing. He's just done that mm-hmm. thing. He's he's moved into producing shit. So yeah. yeah, he's a he's a movie mogul now, not a not a creative. That makes sense.
2: Some I don't know. It's it's weird that uh, the tra- tra- the trajectory of a director. They, there can sometimes be like a, a moment where, um, they just cross. It's almost like jumping the shark. They just they just cross. <laughs> they cross the Rubicon of of good directing and bad directing, and and they're and they're they don't have the same uh, impact that they used to. You know, well, it's also uh, probably
1: the same as, as any industry is like once you hang around in an industry long enough, you you grow clout and uh, favors and funds and capital. And, and it just kind of makes sense that like if you spent a guy like you know Sam Raimi or even like a Kevin Smith, like you spend your early years being a creative director and then you spend enough time in an industry and now you are um, a, pro- a producer in that industry. It, this is small potatoes, absolutely, but I've even experienced that a little bit in my Small, modest comedy career in Edmonton. I've been at it long enough that yeah, I've I do a little less creative stuff I did than in my early twenties, and do more business stuff and producery stuff.
0: I want to say so. that it's also possible that the trajectory is that you you do something that you're passionate for, and then it becomes work. Uh, it's no longer yeah. you're no longer doing it for the love, and you kind of lose your passion for it, and maybe you transition into a different aspect of it, like into the work. Part yeah, of it. you weren't you were you were into the directing, and then directing became kind of rote, and you you lost your taste for it, and so but you still want to be in movies, so you move into financing them. Maybe that's legitimately a yeah. uh, yeah. the direction.
2: It's, I mean, people grow out of um, their creative di- uh, endeavors as much as they grow into them as well you know and mm-hmm. like that you know at a certain at a certain point um, you may decide that uh, you know uh, you've done you've done everything you've wanted to do as a director and and you're kind of finished with it um, but you know producers keep driving dump trucks of money up to your backyard and and you, you know it become like you said it becomes a bit more of a of a chore than anything also i mean or or, or you gain so much clout Uh, that it has the George Lucas effect where nobody's, nobody's hanging around you, you know, giving you um, proper criticism or telling you no on certain things, you know, you're not, you're not working within, um, you know, any restraints. And and sometimes that can bring out the worst in directors. Yeah. Yeah. There's also
1: something really nice being able to throw money at projects you're passionate about, like, there's passion, passion doing a passion project and then there's also financing a passion project. Uh, Elijah Woods really good for that if you watch his stuff lately mm. he's he's bankrolled all sorts of things including as I mentioned on our uh, um, end of the year episode the greasy Strangler was a produced by Elijah Wood uh, <laughs> and so yeah that's like you get enough money and and position in the movie industry and you can start making whatever you want so yeah that's true. Nathan Martin says nobody quickly dies in this movie, and I feel ripped off. Uh. This movie is just silly fun. Uh, the whole, the whole was. Oh, I see how it's it's written. Sorry, the whole was Leo really Gene's son? Who cares? But if The Rock was Gene's son, he would have been proud of him. But The Rock would have <laughs> let Sharon just kill Jean. <laughs> you
0: no, know, I like that it's kind of ambiguous about the relationship between uh, Herod and the kid, because. It it makes it just all the more tragic. Like even when yeah. he guns the kid down uh, in the tournament, Gene Hackman can't bring himself to admit that the kid might have been actually his son. But it's clear that he he does believe it, even if he doesn't admit it, and he feels really crappy about it. Although the the kid's whole arc is just so beautifully tragic. It's so dark.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: the fact he shows up to that final duel in like his Sunday best is just ugh it's heart-wrenching.
2: Yeah, and the the amount of confidence that he has um and then it for it to go so wrong is uh yeah, it just adds to that drama.
1: Yep. Uh, Andrew Craig commented, "I like this movie a lot, but it was raining through and through, which was weird for a western setting." That's fair.
0: It's called uh, lunching. poetic uh what is it? Poetic fallacy? Pathetic fallacy maybe? I don't know. Cut that out, Craig. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's a writing cliche of some kind. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, the one change I would make is Sharon Stone. She's the weak link in an otherwise strong cast and got pretty washed out by the others, especially Hackman, who is clearly having a blast chewing the scenery. I'm a a hard disagree. This movie
0: literally would not have been made without Sharon Stone. (laughs) Um, That is, and that is the truth of the matter. Um, But more than that, the reason why she's kind of washed out is because she's playing the gritty Clint Eastwood character. She's playing the square-jawed stranger comes into town and gets involved in the the local goings-on character. So she's actually playing the archetype. She's playing it really well, and she's playing it with nuance because, like, Greg, you even pointed out the scene where Court's getting strung up in the saloon, like you can see the emotions going through her brain as they're happening. Yeah. Um, the, I, I, I feel like how she, like it's uh, she's she's so good in this movie.
2: Yeah, I feel like the way that Sharon Stone is playing it is that the the gruff character that she is is an act. Right? Oh, very like much so. Yeah, she's not that. She's not actually that person, you know. And she lets her she lets her guard down several times during the movie. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think by the end it's like, it's pretty clear that like, you know, she's, uh, you you know, she's, she's much more soft than the, than the gruff Clint, Clint, or Bill, Bill Clinton, (laughs) Clint Eastwood, uh, type character that she's, she's acting like.
0: Yeah. Like Harrod even calls her out on having ever actually killed a person before, uh, before she kills Eugene in the, uh, in her duel with him. Um, And that's, that's telling to her character. Like she presents herself as this gruff, gritty gunfighter, but she's just a real softy on the inside and she's trying to cover that up so that she can get the revenge she so desperately wants and that she's been burning for her entire life. And like, it's, it's a really interesting character arc to watch and she plays it in a very nuanced way. And I think it's kind of unfair to say that she's the weak link here.
1: Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. Appreciate you commenting. Please don't stop, but I'm uh, going to have to disagree with you on that one. Uh, and that is uh, that is all for our listener comments. Again, thank you all to uh, who, who commented. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, thanks, Scott and Greg. I think we uh, there really wasn't much to uh, to fix necessarily to notarize on this particular film. But I think we've uh, tightened it up and definitely got to celebrate a bit of a, an underappreciated gem.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. I had my doubts, but as always, we find we find our way to pull through.
0: Yeah we're, yeah, we're pretty nitpicky when we need to be, and those nitpicks are usually the things that we can at least hone in on to fix.
1: Indeed. Well, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I Have Some Notes. You can find our podcast feed at IHaveSomeNotes.com. If you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help us out. You can find all our episodes on the CKUA radio app. Download it from the Apple App Store. Remember to check out all of our sibling podcasts over at the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We post new episodes every week, so tune in one week from now when we review, or not review, talk about, discuss, notarize
2: Hudson Hawk. Yes, this is uh, um, a requirement. After uh, Michael Senchuk had won uh, overall, he had won our our, uh, Rotten Tomato Prognosticator. Uh, so sorry, Michael. It's taken so long for us to get to it, but we 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 made it eventually.
0: Yep, we uh, we put it off for as long as we possibly could, and <laughs> and now we're at the point where we just can't put it off anymore. Uh, until then, uh, I've been uh, your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching this, guys, and practicing your quick shooting. pew. pew. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Hi y'all, this is Ryan from the Eat More Barbecue podcast. I'm just a guy that loves slow smoked southern barbecue. I love eating it, I love cooking it, and I really love talking about it. I want to help grow the barbecue culture here in Alberta, and this podcast is a great way for me to share the stories of the people involved in the barbecue community, like restaurant operators and competitive barbecue cooks. Along the way I also visit with other folks like farmers, distilleries, breweries, and anything of interest to barbecue people. A new episode comes out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep on smoking, folks.